host for the UEFA Euro 2028 is United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. Hello and welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley and as ever I'm joined by Jan Dalton. Hello. And Terry DeFello. Hello. Well, what a week in football it's been. You say that every week. <laughs> I've not said that for about five years. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I yeah, not... You did used to say that all the time, didn't you? Every yeah. week he would say that. Every week, yeah. And every week you would say, Jan, you say that every week. It's true. Graham used it? to force guests to do it as well. Yeah, I did. John Driscoll's first ever appearance on the air. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I got Tim Cable to do it as Tim well. Tim Cable, you got him to say it too. The pros that they are, they just went with it. Didn't even question it. You may think that I haven't said that since the last time that Man City uh, lost to Arsenal in the league. And that might be right, actually. It might be it might mm. be that long ago that it actually happened. But it's happened. Arsenal beat City Bit of a nothing game as far as goal chances were concerned. I thought it was dramatic and edge-of-the-seat stuff. Were you as invested as I was in the, in the game? Not really. Um, <laughs> I, I watched it, but I, I didn't think it was a, a classic. I can see why it would have been a little more uh, entertaining and probably edge-of-the-seat for you. My view is that, well, one, that Arsenal deserved the win, but they should have won by more, really, because I think that Kovacic shouldn't have been on the pitch. He should have received two yellow cards, so I think Arsenal would have gone on and punished them after that. But it didn't happen, and it makes it a minor talking point for it. But, you know, it was a good result, but I don't think it was a, it was a showcase of, uh, of English football. I don't really think it lived up to the billing. No, not really. Uh, Terry, what was your impression of the match, if, if at all you watched it? I did watch it. Yes, I did watch it. But being a Bundesliga guy, I could be forgiven perhaps watching the Bundesliga. But I thought, am I going to watch Bayern Munich 3 for SC Freiburg nil? No, I don't think I will. And sure enough, it was Bayern Munich 3, SC Freiburg nil. I think I'm going to watch the other game on the other side. Um, I thought it was a very impressive performance by Arsenal. I appreciate it was not a spectacular uh, show. and I, But sometimes football matches like that against two closely matched teams, they are very, very close. And they tend to cancel each other out. And it was a tense and cagey affair. And I think that if you're a tactical analyst type of person, you could probably got a lot to tuck into there, actually. Because I think there was wheels within wheels going on in that game. It was a bit, I, I suspect it was a bit of a chess match. And chess matches are boring. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> chess matches are boring to watch. They're fascinating to play, but they're boring to watch. So we as neutrals are entitled to think, well, this is not terribly exciting. But you, Graham, as a fan, are entitled to think, Oh, yes, this is an intriguing and exorbitant encounter. And it was a cracking. And I loved the celebration as well. I thought it was actually a just about right celebration. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, you don't think there's going to be a reconstruction of it on the next Crime Watch? It's possible. I mean, I am. I do like the Celebration Police's appearances on, on Crime Watch. It is very, very amusing. I find that kind of thing very, very funny. Uh, I also quite like the fact that Arsenal are seen as being over-celebrating and stuff like that. It's all part of the narrative and all part of the fun, and it's what makes football fun. It was a really good performance, and I completely agree with my colleague about Kovacic. City can have no complaints about that result because they should have been down to 10 men in the first half. Yeah, I think Michael Oliver had perhaps seen the WSL match between Man City and Chelsea earlier on that day, in which Man City had two red cards, and they can feel 
pretty hard done by for both of those. Yeah, there was some very officious officiating. <laughs> yeah, Alex Greenwood was just sent off for standing around. Yes. <laughs> you know, accused of time wasting or in the 19th minute, yeah. this is unlikely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah, I think maybe someone needs to have a quiet word, but let's not get down on referees, huh? No, let's not. not. Again. Let's not. Let's <laughs> instead talk about the innovation that came with yesterday's game because uh Ooh. Woo! yes indeed because <laughs> i started watching sky sports premier league because that's that's the channel i usually go to to go and watch the premier league the clues in the name uh, and then the commentator said well you know if you fancy something a bit different today why don't you switch over to uh, sky sports football peter drury in his way like you know bigging it up and saying that you should go over there because there's a new camera angle and terry describe the new camera angle well, I read about this last week because of the of the business that I'm in, and I got quite excited. So it's called Game Mode, and it's using a device called a bus cam, which is essentially a rail camera that's running along the edge of the first tier at the Emirates, and it runs the camera along, but it also tilts back and forth. Is that the word I'm looking for? I think so. So it Pants, follows yeah. the action. Yeah. And it's the intention is for it to replicate the game-playing experience when you're playing FIFA or FC24 other football games are available but it's basically supposed to be like fifa and it was really interesting because you got got that it was like watching it just like going oh we're moving to the side isn't that really <laughs> you know it was really quite quite fun it did miss it missed an incident when the ball moved so far up city lumped the ball up the field to harland because you know when you've got a big number nine why wouldn't you do that you yep. know you've got the big number nine why don't they use him and uh, and they missed the the fact that i think it was saliba who dumped him on his ass and, and and that would have been quite funny to watch but they actually missed it because i think that they weren't able to move the shift the camera along so it, i suggest it's a work in progress but i quite enjoyed it I'm going to suggest to you that there are some people who wrote into Sky to complain that they were feeling a bit sick afterwards. As someone who's worked for TV companies, duty offices before, I'm going to say that definitely happened. I had to turn it over, actually, in the middle of the second half because it wasn't working so well going to the left side. It wasn't panning across as much on that one. And when it got to the end, the whole screen just slightly tilted around, gave us a nice Dutch angle when it got to the end. And then there was a bit in the middle of the second half where it really was wobbling from side to side, where the horizon was just seesawing from one, one way to another. So I thought, yeah, nice experiment, but I'll go back to watch the rest of this on the uh, normal channel. Is this something they're going to do for every Telefy's match or just the big kind of Sunday one? Or how's, how's that going to work? Do I, you know? I guess it depends on where they are and whether or not they can get the rail up. At the very modern stadiums, that's going to be yeah. possible. You're not going to see that at Goodison Park. Uh, I don't or think. Sellers Park. Or Sellers matter. Park, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, or it, Luton. It, yeah. Oh, definitely at, the, at Luton. It's an experiment. It yeah, is an experiment. Right. So, I mean, it's a one-off. Um, so they'll go away, have a look at it, and we'll see what happens. It'll be, only be at modern stadiums, I feel certain, if it's if it's ever done again. It may never get done again. Yeah, it'll be on the big pile of Sky ideas, like Tactics Cam and and uh, what was the one that Player Cam, didn't they, they used to have? A player yeah, Cam. Quarter of an hour at a time, they, they'd focus on someone. And didn't they do it for Mourinho once as well? And Sven. When Sven took over England, and Sky had the rights for England back then, they spent 15 minutes just on Sven. It was at this point you're beginning to think you might not this might not be doing what you think it wants to do. <laughs> the, I think the tactics cam is still there, although I don't quite know how they access it. 
but yeah, it, it's it's a fine tradition of this throughout football broadcasting. I mean, I'm sure older listeners will not remember because it must be a hundred years ago now. But in the early days of football coverage, they would they publish a grid, a numbered grid on the Radio Times, and then they would do the commentary over the radio, and then there'd be another fellow in the background, and he would be he would be reading out the number of where the play is corresponding to the number on the grid so that the listener had an idea about whereabouts on the pitch they were. That didn't last very long, but it's harebrained schemes like that are what make Britain great, frankly. Indeed. Tell you what I miss, one of their innovations was, um, actually, I don't miss this at all. It was it was awful, but it was hilarious when they used to have the uh, a fan from each side doing the commentary. <laughs> Enzo. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah. It was absolute chaos. It was absolutely chaos. Yeah, you got no insight into the game whatsoever, no, no. which is what decent commentators and, and yeah. their and their pundit mate does. It was just two people just arguing with each other. Well, <laughs> yeah, but then they suddenly realised, look, why don't we get ex pros in to do this for us rather than <laughs> some no marks? And so that's yeah, that what we did. Yeah. So it didn't die, it just evolved. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> the Carragher Neville era yeah. was born. <laughs> And tyranny they were never in. Kind of do miss 3D football, though. Well, that was a pointless addition. That lasted yeah. about a season or so, didn't it? Back in the sort of like early 2010s when people were buying 3D TVs for some reason. Yeah, that was that was great, that was. And I just love the way that every every 25 years or so they try and push for 3D again and they can, yeah. they can never make it stick, can they? Because <laughs> it's not very good. No, no, That's it's why. Hard. Its high point was Jaws 3D, and I will fight anyone who says different. <laughs> this is true. It'll be interesting to see what they do with virtual reality, though, I think, going forward. I think that might end up being a thing, although it will look really stupid when you're all standing in the pub with a <laughs> eye mask thing on. Um, but, um, Pissing but, you know, the hand basin. Yes, exactly. I mean, but, but it's, uh, it'll, obviously, it'll be, it'll be interesting in the home if you're on your own. And you don't mind looking like an idiot. But, no you know. one will, will be on their own, Jan, because we'll be in a metaverse pub. Nah, come on, Graham. The metaverse has died before it ever lived, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone the way of crypto and NFTs <laughs> and artificial intelligence. Yeah, because none of us know what the future holds, do we? Do we? See, well, we do, actually, do in we? some instances. Because <laughs> I think we've actually got that to talk about <laughs> the future. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually on my run list or, or all the way down here. We're talking about things in the future, aren't we, right now? <laughs> this is where the listeners go, hang about what? There's a script to this. <laughs> <laughs> you actually sat and thought about what you were going to talk about. Yes, Because it yes. doesn't come across that way. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for being the voice of the listener there, Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, I do. And what we're going to be talking about today is, well, because it's international break, and today, the day that this podcast comes out, is the day that it's officially going to be announced that the five nations of UK and Ireland are going to be the hosts of Euro 2028. That doesn't mean that they get automatically qualified for them because of UEFA rules. Uh, so it's the same deal as it was for Euro 2020. You've still got to go through the whole process of qualification again. But yeah, it looks like it's coming home again. Is <laughs> Jan, are you going to be uh, stocking up on arse flares? Yes, I am. And I'll be storming Wembley Stadium, I suppose, like I did last time. Hmm. That's a that's standard thing for England fans to do, isn't it? Storm Wembley Stadium. Oh, yeah, totally. Arse totally. flares full of cocaine. And our reward for such terrible behaviour is to maybe get another one. But uh, we don't know where the final is going to be yet. But from the proposed list of venues, the majority of the venues are actually 
in England. There's more venues in England than there are in the other nations. So it seems likely that Wembley would win out as a final. Um, but Terry, what do you think? Is it slightly disappointing that there's only one venue for all the other host nations? Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that there was certainly, I mean, in Scotland, you would have thought that they could have, because I'm looking down a list here and I'm noticing with horror that, yeah, there's basically Hamden Park, which is a fine stadium, I believe. I've never been there. And a historic stadium. But, you know, there's there's another two in Glasgow that they could have had. If you want to use Murrayfield, you could have used Murrayfield or, or you could maybe even have taken one of the one of the Edinburgh clubs and maybe given that a bit of an upgrade. It seems a bit of a shame that it's sort of like concentrated on, on England. I know England is the bigger landmass and has the most people in it. So it does kind of make sense. But it, you know, politically, I wonder how well it will go down. And I'm very curious to learn where the final is going to be. You know, I really don't I hope it's not in Wembley. I would like it to be in one of the other countries. I think it's fairer that way. I think it'd be great. You talk about Graham football coming home. And people, I think, would argue very strongly that in many ways the home of the game is Scotland. And, I mean, I know in an accurate way it isn't. It's London. But, I mean, you know, know, so much the game's development and the way it was codified and the modern ways the game was played and the way it's developed there over the years originates from Scotland. And it would be nice, especially given that their national team are actually quite good these days, if the final was to be held at Hamden. It is, after all, an incredibly historic stadium. And if I'm not mistaken, was the venue for the first ever international or maybe i've got that wrong yeah we talked about that a few weeks ago didn't we i don't think it was at hamden i I don't think it had been built by then i'll fact check that and uh jan you can give me your choice for where the final should be um i agree it should be out i think it should be outside of the southeast of england for a start as as a lot of things should be uh when it comes to uh national um events you know it would be good to see it in one of the other countries across these islands because you need a massive stadium, don't you? So sending it to somewhere like Belfast probably isn't, you're not going to get an 80,000 uh, seat stadium, depending on what they're going to do with Casement Park. I don't know. Um, so you need somewhere that's fairly big. So um, so it needs to be, mind you, what the one in um, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, I think that's quite large. Isn't it? That's so quite you could big. do it there, of course, but then you've got to, you know, you, you kind of, you got to get, you got to get over there, which is, which, which is easily done. But you know, you you are adding to considerably to the carbon footprint if everyone decides to go over there. Um, I don't know if if it was possible, bang in the middle of of these islands, which I would imagine is. I suppose it would be Everton would be bang in the middle, but I think Villa Park would be good. I think just take it, taking it out of the area where all the wealth is already doesn't need any more money flowing into it. Um, I think it would be good to, to host it definitely outside of the southeast, but outside of England, I think it's a good idea as well. Mm-hmm. Villa Park would be absolutely fine for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hosting that final in Birmingham would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think it's worth pointing out that if the final was in Dublin, that it would be easy for tra- easier for traveller for most EU citizens because they're part of the EU, for yeah. example. Um, and of course, it's very easy for UK citizens because it's part of the common travel area. So, so actually, Dublin as a venue for the final makes complete sense. I doubt it'll happen. I suspect it will be Wembley again. Yeah, mm. yeah. That was actually in Partick. Oh, was it really? Yeah, not where Partick Thistle play now because that's right. not actually in Partick. But uh, yeah, in the west of Glasgow, that's where it was right. held. Okay, so they, they well, I think my point still stands because Glasgow mm. being the location of the first ever uh, men's football international. Certainly, and, and certainly you make a really valid point there about the history of the game because it's one of the birthplaces of the professional game and the, and the game that we all play now. So, yeah, 
Good choice. So, but that's going to be Euro 2028. It's going to be across a number of different nations. It's actually two proper countries and five, you know, sort of countries. I didn't realise you were so proud of being Welsh, Graham. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether England qualifies as a country. I'm not certain about that. But, I don't uh, think yeah. legally that England and, and Scotland and Wales are, are actually – well, it's certainly England and Scotland because I, I, mean, I have to go and check my history books. But I thought the Act of Union effectively dissolved England and Scotland made Great Britain. Uh, the, the Union of the Crowns is what you're referring to. But it doesn't, didn't stop the, the nations from continuing to be nations. It's just that they have amalgamated together as a state, of, mm-hmm. which is the United Kingdom. Great Britain actually arguably refers to conceivably, actually, it also means the islands and all of that. So Great Britain is a geographical name, whereas the United Kingdom is the political name for the state. And that state is made up of the respective nations mm-hmm. and they are nations. And I think it's important that we say this out loud on this podcast, for just in case we upset anybody from those nations who may be offended. Because let's face it, you're easily offended, aren't you? Someone's been watching David Olashogu's new series, isn't they? No, I go, I go back to my time at, when I was working duty offices, and these, I had to research this about that. So it's all good. They're all nations within a nation. One point that, that does come up from all of this, because this means that Euro 2028 is going to be a lot like Euro 2020 was, and with it being so big now, the next tournament, Euro 2024, next year, in Germany, is this going to be the last tournament, the last Euros at least, that is capable of being held in just one country? Or are we moving further away from that old model of tournaments? Last week it was announced the hosts of the next World Cup, well, not the next World Cup, we know that, that's going to be multi-hosts as well, that's going to be in Mexico, Canada, and the USA. And now the one after that as well, in 2030, is going to be across six countries. We've got Spain, Portugal, and Morocco as the hosts. But last week it was announced that the opening games would be somewhere else. Yeah, and not just across the road, but, I mean, literally across an ocean because they're going to be hosting them uh, a game each as the tournament kicks off in Uruguay, Argentina and Paraguay, um, which is uh, to tie in with a centenario, of course, 100 years of, of the World Cup, which is a nice nod um, and also pretty good if you happen to sell aviation fuel for a living. Um, it's uh, it's going to be good for you. But to be fair, I mean, joking aside, I would imagine they'll just they'll structure that to the South American side's or at home at least, if you like, and those uh, those early ones, although it does mean a team from somewhere else does have to fly over there. But we'll try. hopefully they'll try and keep that close because that is a bit reckless when the planet only a few weeks ago was literally on fire. Um, so, uh, But it, you know, it is a nice nod to, to the fact that it's been 100 years since the first uh, World Cup. So, um, so that does add a bit of spice to it. And it is only one game in each of those countries. Yeah, Terry, you have said before in this podcast how it would be lovely if they took the uh, World Cup back to Uruguay for 2013. And I suppose this is a slight nod, have the opening game of the tournament in the place where it all started. But yeah, money talks, isn't it, really? Let's let's be realistic. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of economic strength, those countries don't really necessarily have the clout. I mean, obviously, economically, Argentina has been a basket case for a long time now. 
Uruguay is not an economic basket case, but it is not a rich country uh, with a large economy. But I just think, you know, if you could build a World Cup in Qatar, then, you know, why couldn't you build a World Cup around the River Plate and make it a River Plate World Cup? So have it in Montevideo and in uh, Buenos Aires and perhaps surrounding areas and rebuild the stadiums around there. That would have been an absolutely awesome World Cup and it would have been completely and utterly doable, completely and utterly doable. Fantastic for the carbon footprint beyond the fact that there'll be people traveling thousands of miles from Europe and Africa and, and Asia to get there. But from the point of view of keeping everything sort of like quite close and compact, that totally would have worked. And FIFA totally have the money to be able to pay for that kind of thing. But I do appreciate that that is not the world that we live in. And that, as you say, Graham, money talks. But I say, you know, a River Plate World Cup is a huge missed opportunity for the centenary. And I think that many people would have very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I suppose really the, the next single nation uh, hosted uh, World Cup we can look forward to is 2034 in Saudi Arabia, I guess. Apparently so. Apparently, I, I read in the in well, a number of outlets today that that is a done deal, which is, well, it's disappointing for all the same reasons that Qatar was disappointing, but even more disappointing because you know, Saudi Arabia is like Qatar on steroids when it comes to their human rights record, isn't it? Um, but as you said, Graham, and to use it for the third time in this pod, money does talk. And Saudi Arabia has spent time ingratiating themselves with FIFA. Infantino has been, well, he's been hopping around the Middle East for the last few years, hasn't he? If he's not in Qatar, he's been shaking hands with the Saudis. And, and of course, they're trying to grow their footballing presence as part of their, their wider sports washing push. So it, it's not really surprising that it ended up going there. But it is a bit distasteful, isn't it? Yeah, very much. And I guess is this means that we'll have another World Cup in November, yes, sir? I can only assume that it will, will mean that. I don't know about you guys, but I, I once I was able to put aside my, my concerns about Qatar, uh, which I was able to do because I'm a hypocrite. Um, I, I enjoyed that World Cup and the, lo- and, the, and the time that it was in. And I think we'll have plenty of notice and I think it's demonstrated that it could be done. I don't doubt for a moment that it had consequences and, and you know, for players and for coaches and for clubs. Um, but it will at least they will have the experience of 2022 to fall back on and revert to when planning and forward planning for 2034. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm almost certain I feel strongly that it will almost certainly happen from a purely cold and analytical point of view. Saudi Arabia have the money to be able to just basically build these things, uh, I was going to say out of thin air, but of course that's completely wrong because it'll be like lashings and lashings of human labour under goodness knows what working conditions they'll be forced to work um, when they can construct these things. And they won't be building them in the wintertime. Um, They'll be building them all year round. Mm. Um, So it's pretty horrific, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, But as a shallow football fan who will be sitting there consuming it at the end of the year, It'll probably provide a nice black drop. And I suppose, you know, for all the journalists and the camera guys and the and the media types that will turn up there, there is a huge amount of convenience in having a World Cup in a very, very small area. And I'm sure that that's probably what will happen. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the whole thing sort of like happens in Riyadh and surrounding areas or maybe this kind of like space city that they're building called Neom or something like that or one of their other, you know, interesting projects that they've got going on in Saudi Arabia. Really, it's all shaping up to the fact that the next Euros in Germany is going to be pretty much the last tournament in the classic sense. One country hosting it, putting all the games on. You just have to go through passport control once if you want to watch your games. And 
it seems weird now that we describe a tournament like this as the exception rather than the rule. What do you think, guys? Do you think we're going to see these again? Or are tournaments too big now? It's got to be some kind of petro state that builds FIFA City to host it, like Qatar did, or what Saudi Arabia will do. Or is there a place? Is it only going to be the cash-rich Western European superpowers that will be able to host a tournament in future? Yeah, I think that's the case. England could probably host a tournament on its own, and France could easily do it, um, Italy and Spain uh, as well. So, but, so yes, that confines itself to the richer West of Europe. And then obviously you've got giant economies like America. Russia's obviously going to be out of it, but they could do that as well. From my point of view, I haven't really got a problem that it's going across multiple countries. I, I quite like that. I quite like the fact that the you know taking the climate argument to one side. I just think it just it makes for um, a more interesting tournament. It spreads the wealth that those tournaments generate uh, across other countries and into more than one country, into lots of different regions as well. So I think it's a good thing. But I don't think it's the end of it being just one country. I just think the trend seems to be hosting it across multiple countries and these trends can ebb and flow. I'm happy with it either way, really. I do think it's silly, though, having it across an entire ocean, but that seems like it's going to be a one-off, I would hope. In terms of the Euros, I mean, I don't think that there's a good possibility that we'll see that being hosted in in a single country. I mean, as Jan points out, England could have hosted Euro 28. They've got enough stadiums to host it. I feel that they think the best thing to do is to put it together as a joint bid and it would be more successful that way. But as England could certainly host it. I would imagine that Spain and Italy and France a mighty undertaking to be absolutely sure, but certainly they're capable of doing it. I would I would think it's when you get to World Cups is where things get tricky. But if we stick with Euros for the moment, I think you want to see the hosts going to different European nations as possible, and that includes some of the smaller ones, and I guess some of the less well-off ones as well. And that, will, of course, means then joint hosting. And, so, and I think it's perfectly fine. We're well used to it by now. We've had it since Euro 2000, and I believe that we're used to it as a concept, and I'm quite happy. But I think it's great when it's in a, a single country, specifically for that reason, Graham, is, is that, you know, I think as a fan, you can rock up there and you can kind of hold up for however long you're there, whether it be a week or two weeks, or if you're lucky enough to be able to stay for the entire tournament, you can kind of hold up in pretty much one location maybe and travel the country and, and really get into the sort of like festive spirit of it. This is a good opportunity for us to talk about doing just that because the ballot for tickets for Euro 2024 opened beginning of the month, didn't it? So just last week. So you can now put your name in. You can now go onto UEFA's site and select tickets for all the games, I think. I think all the games are available there. Uh, of course, we don't know who's going there. It's only Germany so far who we know are going to be there. But you know, we, we can pretty much guess that nearly every all the big names are going to be there because you really have to try hard not to get into this tournament because there's so many teams there. And if you're in the top Nations League, uh, which England aren't anymore, obviously, then you're pretty much carried there anyway. Terry, you know a lot about Germany. What advice would you give to people who are looking at going over to Euro 2024? All three of us have been to Germany many times, but you've been there more than me and Jan together. I've been to five of the venues on that list. Uh, I don't know, how many of you got off that list? Oh man, I'd have to look again at the list. I've 
put my name down for the North Rhine-Westphalia area because they're dividing them up into different areas. And so there's Dortmund, obviously. There's Schalke. I've been there. You and I have been there, Graham. Yeah. I've been to Dusseldorf. You and I have been there, Graham, as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and the other venue is Cologne. And we've been there as well. Yeah. And so I've been to all of them. I've been to Hamburg. They're on there. And I've been to the Olympiastadion. I haven't been to the Allianz. No. And I've not been down in the south. I've not been to Stuttgart, for example, or Frankfurt. And there's Leipzig there as well. Yeah. But you're sticking with North Rhine-Westphalia. There is a, a tight hub of four grounds quite close together, isn't there? Well, North Rhine-Westphalia is one of Europe's great hotbeds of football. In fact, it's one of the world's great hotbeds of football. If you're a lover of football and if you're new to Germany or you don't travel to Germany very often, then I think that's an excellent choice because they're absolutely mad about football in that region. I mean, we'll probably be staying in Dortmund, but, you know, if you didn't want to put yourself through that, then, you know, you've got Cologne or you've got Dusseldorf as options. Don't go to Gelsenkirchen, for goodness sake. But you've got Cologne and Dusseldorf there, beautiful cities, lots to do. They'll have a great party atmosphere there and you'll absolutely love it. I mean, you've got the possibility of basing yourself in Stuttgart or Frankfurt or Munich, Bavaria is a very, very different part of Germany, but, you know, it's, it's 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 a really nice place and a great place to have fun. And, of course, Berlin or Hamburg are great places to bake yourself. I mean, I, I would prefer Berlin as well if you were doing that. So it really just depends on what you do. So if you're bringing along a partner or family and maybe you're hiking it in with a holiday, then think about going to somewhere like Berlin because there's loads for everyone to do even people who are perhaps less interested. If it's like a pure football, you want to experience the pure hit of football, where there's football all over the place, then go to North Rhine-Westphalia and enjoy that. Yeah, and what would be the place that you'd want to go to? Would you want to go back to Berlin? Because you've been there a couple of times. You've, you've seen games there. You were the first out of us to see VAR in action at the Olympics. I was. Oh, remember that I was. I saw, uh, yeah, it was Herter against, I think it was Gladbach. In fact, it was. It was. Um, yeah. 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 So that was that was uh, confusing. <laughs> <laughs> turning turning to ask the guy ask the guy behind me what was going on in my very poor German. Um, but uh, but yeah, Berlin's a great um, city to go to, as, as Terry said. And uh, you know the the history and the culture of the place is is unbelievable. Really easy to walk around as well. It's really spread out, isn't it? And um, but easy easy to get around um, on the on the on public transport as well as it is everywhere in Germany. It's amazing. Um, Dusseldorf um, was a brilliant ground. I loved going to that, and and that is, it's so modern and it, but it, and it's so big, but it's got this kind of cauldron kind of atmosphere, yeah, hasn't definitely. it? It's really the noise is kept right in there. And it's quite disconcerting because there's just so much going on. For me, I'd like to go somewhere where I hadn't been before. I think I'd like to see Leipzig. I've got a bit of a fascination with you know what people of my age call the old East, so I just like to see what it's like over there. But going to Germany anyway is a treat for anyone. Going to watch football in Germany makes it even better. Because obviously going to watch football in Germany when you're watching two German sides playing is an event in itself because of how the atmosphere is and how the, the fan experience is completely different to how it is in the UK. I don't know whether you'll see that. I don't think you'll see that when you've got internationals, which would be a shame because it's one of the, the greatest parts of it. But yeah, I mean, the setup there for football is just is out of this world and it's going to be going to be a great tournament, I think. If I just intervene on the Leipzig thing, I mean, there's a interesting Leipzig story there. Obviously, you know, there's Red Bull Leipzig, but there's a real passion for football in Leipzig. And it's they've always consistently underachieved in that city. There are a great Karl Leipzig and Chemie Leipzig. 
a really historic sort of like now Regionalliga or Oberliga clubs now, sadly, that have fallen on harder times and have a litany of, generally speaking, poor management. Uh, and RB Leipzig, one of the reasons why it's been successful is because it's tapped in on that huge popularity. I understand the stadium. It was the original stadium that was used for, that was built for the, for the 2006 World Cup for the opening game. It's not a great experience. And while I far be it from me to, to dissuade Jan from any travel plans that he might wish to wake, the time to go to Leipzig, I think, is actually in the club season and go on a bit of a Regionalliga or Oberliga tour around the smaller grounds there. And then maybe if you can, dash up to Berlin and see if you could catch a proper game up there, so to speak, mm. rather than going to RB. This is one of the things about it, though, isn't it? It's this difference between what it will be like going there as an international fan and being in an international crowd, all seated as well, rather than going to these amazing displays that you will go and see in the Bundesliga with everyone sat down on the yellow wall. It's, it's not going to be the same atmosphere there, is it? No, it's not. I mean, the ironic thing is, is that if I come up in the ballot, there's a good chance that that might be the only time I ever get to go and watch a game at the Yellow Wall at Dortmund. And of course, I will be sitting down and it'll be a completely different experience. So this is the thing I think it is worth just emphasising that football in Germany is so much culturally is all about the clubs as much, if not more than it is in England. And so, yes, yeah, so you, you won't necessarily have that same edge to it. But nevertheless, you know, I mean, I, I, my brief experience of 2006 was such that, you know, the locals get hugely enthusiastic about it. They were very enthusiastic about 2006. And I don't think it'll be any any different down in where I'm going in North Rhine-Westphalia or indeed anywhere else where that party's being held. One bit of travel advice I can give is don't, whatever you do, go to Frankfurt at all. Do not go to Frankfurt. Don't go there. There's nothing for you there. And especially wherever you're going in Germany, do not fly Lufthansa. And especially do not fly Lufthansa to Frankfurt because you'll you'll probably get lost. They'll probably land in, in a, I don't know, the Congo or somewhere like that. You won't get to where you're going anyway. In all seriousness, I would strongly advise, I think you'd be very wise, if you're flying from the US, for the US listeners, if you're coming, thinking of coming in from the US, you might consider actually flying into Amsterdam and then getting one of the numerous ECA trains uh, to various parts of Germany from there. And you can probably get down to Frankfurt or Stuttgart that way and base yourself that way rather than troubling yourself with the airports. It'll be a few hours, um, but you... <laughs> Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, I've never been to Frankfurt Airport, but that's because people tell me to not go and I listen to what they say. So, um, Mind you saying that, Berlin Airport's pretty rubbish as well, isn't it? it well, if you're flying in from the US, then you're flying into the brand new Brandenburg Airport. Right. Uh, but if you're flying in from yeah, Europe, yeah. then no, absolutely, it's a shed. Yeah, it's awful. It's a shed with a Burger King and some <laughs> German spoons. <laughs> Von Spoons or whatever it is, <laughs> with a umlaut over one of the O's. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, we might drive. We might take the car. Yeah. Go on the Eurotunnel. And on the way back, we might stop in Holland or Belgium and, you know, just take a, take some time there. So, you know, because we've been put ourselves down for four games in four days. And then what we might do then is we might then either head up, because I think, Anyway, sorry, I'm now going into my personal plan. So I won't bore you with that, listeners, because that's not interesting. Well, that is another thing you can do if, if you're coming in from the other side of the world, is the, the fact that if you, if you hire a car, then you could 
base yourself in Belgium or or in uh, the Netherlands because the uh, most of those grounds in North Rhine Westphalia are very very close to the border there. I do remember I think we were in Aachen I think most of the cars I, I remember seeing parked up around there were all had Dutch number plates on them. When I went to Mönchengladbach once it was quite common to encounter fans speaking Dutch. Yeah. Mönchengladbach fans because it's literally just over there. Of course, you know, if you're thinking about going to the south, going, think about going to Basel and traveling up from Basel in Switzerland and then going up there through the Black Forest. Mm. Uh, again, if you want to circumvent um, uh, Frankfurt and, you know, make make some fun of it. So there's, yeah, Germany has many borders, it, it, many, many routes of entry. So there's lots of opportunities there. Mm. So what do you think about the grounds that they're not going to? Because they're not going to Gladbach and it's not going to Bremen. And Wolfsburg would have probably been the most central location of them all. And uh, and they're not going there. No, no, they're not. So Gladbach is a great stadium atmosphere, but it is in the middle of nowhere. You know, you, you get difficult. I mean, you have to get coaches basically they have a park and ride thing going on there. I don't know whether or not it's really entirely practical. It's not the same experience as, say, going to Cologne, where the stadium is in the city. It's a short tram ride from the Altmarkt. Wolfsburg is a very, very large factory. It's a very large factory, and it's got houses where the factory workers live, uh, and that's basically Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg is a works club. You know, we've talked about this before, the the, the good and bad about Wolfsburg. And no, I mean, I, there's nothing there for the tourist, and there shouldn't be. You know, they're not hosting it, hosting one in Leverkusen either, because for the same reason, it's got a massive pharmaceutical factory and houses and shops. And a stadium. Are you surprised that Bremen isn't hosting any games there? Uh, I am surprised about that because Bremen is a wonderful place, the jewel of the north of Germany, uh, much, much better place than Hamburg. That's not true. I'm just saying that because Nick is a Bremen fan. It's a lovely place, Bremen, and it is, it is a shame that it's missed out. Well, that's our guide to getting your tickets for Euro 2024. Yeah, we're not going to go into the whys and wherefores of how to sign up or anything. It's all on the UEFA site. It's all pretty damn easy as well the ballot closes i think end of the month 26th of october 26th of october so you've got well, a couple of weeks to look around pick your price remember budgets okay i know yan don't get click happy and end up with a basket of two thousand euros and thinking oh well i won't get them all i won't get them all and all of a sudden <laughs> them all. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden it's rolling out your bank account and good luck good luck to you I've got to put mine in. Uh, you're all done now, aren't you, Terry? You, or are you putting in for more? No, I, no. I think we'll put in for we've put in for four around um, around in North Rhine Westphalia, um, and I think that that'll do us. Have you thought about what you might do, Graham? Uh, I think we're going to be looking at the end of the group stage, beginning of the knockout stage. There is a couple of days between uh, the end of the group stage and the round of sixteen. A couple of days of football with the end of the group stage couple of days of looking around the place and then a couple of days of football again so to maybe do that uh well there's no box set this week because it's the international break so there's just loads of international football on uh if you can get hold of it if you've got via play in the uk we'll be watching channel four i imagine to watch the england games the box set will return in a couple of weeks time when club football does as well But that's all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Jan Bilton, and from Terry DeFellow, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.
contact us through our website, sofpodcast.com, via Twitter at Sound of Football, or on Facebook.com slash Sound of Football. Baby Dave. Baby Dave.